I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Good morning, everybody. Welcome along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at that disappointing defeat last night at the hands of Manchester City. Uh, a big good morning to everybody tuning in live. I don't expect there to be that many of you uh, because, quite frankly, we never do podcasts at this time of the day. Um, but was driving back from the game last night, uh, got back really late. By the time you sort of wrap up, pack away all your equipment, go and do the press conferences, etc., etc., and then essentially get out of there, walk to the car. It does get quite late, and when I got back, I wasn't in the mood to do it, partly because of the result, but partly because I was tired. And I thought, I want to get it out nice and early today, but I've got a jam-packed day ahead of me today, um, heading out of the house in around about an hour's time, um, got some some TV work, some radio work, the 90 Min show coming up at 11 a.m. as well. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I got this out to you guys nice and early so that you could have the whole day to listen to it if you want to. Although I suspect that there'll be a lot of people that want to stay away from Arsenal content um, after what we saw last night. Um, and, and that kind of shows in itself, I think, the shift in the mentality among the fans because there would have been a load of people rushing to content uh, to be angry, basically, uh, if this was two, three seasons ago. So Arsenal are in a much better place overall. Um, but as Rob says in the chat, and he's absolutely right, he's woken up uh, and it's really hurting. And it is hurting. It's disappointment uh, more than anger. It's disappointment more than frustration, I would say. It's the nature of, of the goals that we gave up. It's the way that we lost it. It's the way that I don't think we gave a great account of ourselves, especially in that second half. And, you know, people kept talking about the psychological damage that losing to Manchester City would have. I honestly believe that if Arsenal had gone out there and performed to a really, really high level and then, you know, lost it by the odd goal, the psychological damage probably wouldn't have been that severe. Because you can choose to look at that kind of result in, in one of two ways. You can look at it and say, well, we went toe-to-toe and we narrowly lost out. So do you know what? We are as good as you. Or you can let it kill you. But I think Arsenal are in a place now where they believe in what they're doing. They believe in the methods. They believe in the system. They believe in what it is that Mikel Arteta is trying to put across. But unfortunately, last night, we weren't good enough to implement it throughout the duration of the game. And we made individual errors that when you come up against the side of City's class, you simply cannot afford to make. We'll talk about the lineup in a minute. We'll talk about uh, how the game went, some of the key moments, key incidents. Uh, we'll also take some of your thoughts and questions from the live chat as well. But if I could just ask before uh, we go into that, can you please leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube? Leave us a review if you're listening on audio. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, if you are a member of the show over on the Another Slice platform, you would have got access to our player ratings, uh, which came to you guys around about an hour, hour and 20 minutes after the full-time whistle yesterday. Uh, so check that out. I go through the team, break it down, give a rating for each individual player. But that is exclusively available to those uh, that are subscribed to the show over on the Another Slice platform. The link is in the description below. Uh, let's take a few of your comments, actually, before we dive into um, sort of my thoughts, because I know once I get going, I probably won't be able to stop for a little while. Um, Matthew Lee Benjamin says, Jorginho was Arsenal's best player last night. We'll come on to talk about Jorginho individually, but I think he gave a good account of himself overall. Um, Gunnar Deja Vu says, we were never winning that game with Jesus and Partey missing our fullbacks. Um, having what? Sticken didn't help. Uh, most, oh, stinkers, I think he's meant to say. Uh, most damaging of all was Eddie missing three goals, top striker bags. Uh, big hello to Klocken, Seb, uh, to Foluso, uh, to Afshin. Uh, Foluso goes on to say, as expected, our fan base are doing the exact same thing they do every year. Once we hit a bad run of form, they slander the team. The same team that has been so exceptional all season. We are feeble. Uh, look, 
I think people have a right to feel disappointed. I think people have a right to express that disappointment in relation and in regards to that game. And if you want to go back a bit further, you can go back as far as the Everton game. But to be sort of looking at players that have been good enough for the majority of the season and all of a sudden deciding that they're not, I think is overreactionary. And I think it's it's unnecessary. I've seen some people sort of getting onto Mikel Arteta this morning in a couple of WhatsApp groups that I'm in uh, with regards to the lack of changes to the A, to the starting lineup, but B, uh, to the um, to the sort of game as it unfolded. Maybe he could have brought Trossard on earlier. Some people are saying, I don't know, maybe he could have taken Tomiyasu off earlier. I don't know. But for me, I sat here and I said in the build-up to this game that that Arsenal team had got us to where we were. And that that Arsenal team deserved Mikel Arteta's trust and deserved the opportunity to play its way through a difficult period. So I'd be a hypocrite now if I sat here and said, oh my God, Mikel Arteta, you clown, why didn't you change the team? So I'm not going to be doing that. But I do think that we saw a little bit of fatigue uh, creeping against Brentford. And I think we saw a little bit more of it uh, last night, which is obviously a bit of a worrying sign and may push Mikel Arteta into making uh, a change or two or three even going into the game against Villa at the weekend. Um, 13X says the title is still in our hands, but confidence has been shattered. We're in a slump. I'm really worried about Villa and Leicester away now. Uh, what else have we got? Um, some shade being thrown at Eddie and Ketia. Uh, Kustrim says, good morning all. As a Guna, I honestly feel dissatisfied, but hey, still plenty of games left. And as such, a game to lose is not to worry. I was pissed when losing against Everton and the draw against Brentford. Um, a few more hellos. Uh, Omar Dino says, uh, as good as Jorginho was, we still miss Partey. Absolutely. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, big hello to Mohammed, to David, to Steve, um, to Pete. Uh, who else we got? Mafia boss, uh, Mario Romano. Uh, Patrick O'Connor is with us as well. Um, we'll come on to questions a little bit later on because I'm just conscious of time. Let's get um, let's get into it then. So let's talk about the team news. Uh, obviously, there were rumours flying around social media in the afternoon that Thomas Partey uh, was going to be unavailable, that the Ghanaian had picked up a muscular injury uh, in training. A lot of people were reluctant to maybe believe those rumours because of, myself included, because of the fact that Mikel Arteta had faced the media yesterday in the afternoon and basically said, look, everyone's available, everyone's fine. Um, all the players that we had available at the weekend are available going into this one. But it was a very, very late withdrawal uh, with regards to Thomas Partey. And as I arrived at the ground around about 5pm um, and the news came through from the likes of Charles Watts and David Ornstein and the very reputable Arsenal journalists, it kind of clouded over the game for me in a little bit because... I'd gone there believing that Arsenal could go out there and go toe-to-toe uh, with Manchester City. I'd gone out there feeling quite confident, actually, about the fact that we could get a result. Now, it didn't need to be all three points. This was the thing that was annoying me in the build-up. You know, lots of people were saying, this is absolutely must-win for Arsenal. It wasn't must-win, it was must-not-lose. And unfortunately, we lost. But not having Thomas Partey was was huge. Um I'm not going to slag off Jorginho because I thought his performance was quite good and we'll talk about that separately. But Thomas Partey is so important to this team. I mean, when sort of Arsenal started the season like an absolute house on fire and we were, you know, 10, 12 games in and people were looking at this team and going, you know what, they could give this a go. You know what, they are title challengers. My response to every single one of those people was always, Arsenal are... A wonderful young team, they're developing, they're growing, they're pushing forward. There will be inconsistencies, but we've got a shot if we can keep two players fit. And those two players for me were Thomas Partey and Gabriel Jesus. Because, yeah, in other positions, we've got important players. Your Odegaards, your uh, your Salibas, your Gabriels. There's, there's important players throughout the, the, the sort of team, but there isn't two players as irreplaceable as those two for whom we have sufficient cover. And that's always been the case. And I think this is why a lot of Arsenal fans are going to be frustrated now and are going to look at 
um, the January transfer window because, you know, central midfield, we knew that we needed something. We went out and got something. To be fair to Arsenal, they did try to get their primary target, couldn't get that deal over the line, and they pivoted to Jorginho, who actually, against Manchester City, and it doesn't get much harder than that, I thought proved to everybody that he is calm, he's composed, he's technically very good, and he can do a job. So I'm not really bothered about the midfield issue, but up front, we could have done with something. Mikel Arteta trusted in Eddie Nketiah. I think at the start of him sort of coming into the team, uh, he proved to a lot of people that he could be trusted. But when you're then, you know, when you're looking at someone for five, six games, can they come in and do a job for five, six games? Yeah, they can um, a lot of the time. And, and the enthusiasm and the buzz carries them. But then when you start getting to like one month, two months, three months with that player being the focal point, that's when their performances start to level out a little bit. And you can see that actually he's not at the same level. Now, I've said it in recent weeks against Everton, against Brentford. He didn't get a sniff. And that was largely due to A, the systems deployed against us, but B, the way we were playing and performing, not quite at our best. And I think a lot of that can be said again yesterday with regards to him, um, you know, with regards to him not getting in behind Manchester City as much as he would have liked or being as involved in the build-up as much as he would have liked. But yesterday was a little bit different in that Eddie Nketiah had at least two glorious opportunities to score for Arsenal. And if ever you needed proof of how important it is to take your chances in a game against an opponent of Manchester City's calibre, you only need to look at that passage of play in the build-up to Manchester City's opener. Because it's us who are making the headway. It's us that are coming forward. It's us that work the ball well on the left-hand side. Zinchenko delivers into the box. Eddie Nketiah must have been, what, six yards out at max? And he heads wide. You have to hit the target, man. You have to make Edison work. And he just didn't. Within minutes, Manchester City go down the other end um, and capitalise on a big, big individual error from Takahiro Tomiyasu. When you look at sort of the way the game started, I thought we started with good good energy. I thought the atmosphere was very good, very positive. I thought that, you know, we, we were managing to find ourselves in those little pockets of space in between the lines. Pep Guardiola's system worried me when I saw it. I thought it was bold and I thought it was brave to go the way he went. But I thought if he if it works or if Manchester City are able to get on the ball, this could be a real big problem for us. And what I'm talking about is that decision to play essentially a back three and then to pack the midfield with Rodri, uh, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan. That is some midfield quartet, isn't it? And to be able to put that in the midfield against an Arsenal side missing Thomas Partey, I thought was going to give him the advantage from the very off. And I was actually quite pleasantly surprised by the way that Arsenal played in the first half because we didn't allow that advantage to be too much of a problem for us. Instead, we were really good at, as I say, breaking the lines, popping the ball into those spaces in between the midfield and the defence, getting Odegaard on it, getting Martinelli on it. Xhaka was joining in with that as well. It wasn't as frequent as it would be against a lower calibre of opponent, but there were moments where Arsenal did break those lines and did look a threat. But then you go and give away a goal like the one we did and, you know, it just sucks the air out of you. Now, I know that the crowd did their best uh, and did fantastically well to kind of get behind the team after that goal went in. You could feel the sort of love for Takahiro Tomiyasu despite the mistake he'd made. Uh, you could see his teammates going around sort of, you know, trying to lift his chin up and say, look, come on, we're, we're, it's fine. Let's let's get on with it. And then when you go and get a penalty kick and you convert the penalty kick um, and you get back on level terms, then you kind of breathe a bit of a sigh of relief because you think, well, we've played quite well. It would have been gutting to be behind now. We are back on level terms. Happy days. Blank slate. Clean slate. Let's go again. And the second half started and it was a completely different match. Manchester City was so much more dominant. They'd clearly stepped further up the pitch. They were no longer playing with a, a deep line. And I was surprised that they started the game with such a deep line, to be honest, because I, I didn't really see that as being their style. But in the second half, they certainly squeezed it up. Pep Guardiola showed his class as a manager and why he is elite 
because he recognised what Arsenal were doing successfully. He recognised where Arsenal were having joy. He recognised Arsenal's right side was a problem. Odegaard going out to support Saka. Saka often isolating Bernardo Silva, who somehow was allowed to make about five, six challenges before he eventually went in the book. Um, but yeah, he recognised what the problem was. He plugged the holes, he filled the gaps. And from then on, Manchester City were in control. Now, the possession stats will surprise people when you look at the game uh, stats. And I'll, you know what, I'll just bring it up because I think somebody told me last night, but I wasn't 100% sure if this was correct. I didn't have the time to look it up. But somebody told me last night that, that was the least possession that Manchester City have had in a Premier League win or something in a long, long time. Uh, wait, let me go back. Here we go. Uh, let's go on the BBC website. One second. Possession 64% in Arsenal's favour. But we only managed one shot more than them. We managed 10 shots. They managed nine. Only one of ours was on target. And there in itself lies the problem. Manchester City, from the nine shots they had, six of them were on target. That's efficiency. That is class. That is quality. Now, I put a tweet out last night after the game, which I think rattled a few people. I had a few people sort of replying uh, quite strongly to it. I had a couple of messages from friends saying that, you know, what I'd said was was out of order. It was wrong. I, I stand by what I said. Um, this is what I said. I said, City were impressive in the second half. We made multiple errors after the break, the kind of which you can't make versus a side stacked with class. You can see why they've dominated the league for years. This isn't a night to pick on individuals. We were outclassed in the end as a unit. And people kept saying, outclassed? We weren't outclassed. We made stupid mistakes. Part of being top class is A, not making mistakes in the big games when it matters. And another part of being top class is being able to punish your opponents and capitalize on the mistakes that they make. We weren't able to capitalize on the very few mistakes that Manchester City made. And, and it's as simple as that. We we weren't good enough to do that. You know, the mistakes that they made, you'd argue, would be leaving Eddie Nketiah on a couple of occasions in the middle of the penalty area with a free header. But Eddie Nketiah on the night wasn't good enough to convert those chances and, and make Manchester City pay. And there is the difference. Erling Haaland, quiet all night. William Saliba did a fantastic job on him. But when it mattered... And when he got his opportunity, he took it. And there was never any doubt that he was going to take it. So there is a gap between these two sides. And I've been saying it all season that Manchester City are a better side than us in that they have better depth. They have the experience. They have a more experienced manager. They have resources that, you know, are obviously questionable given what's going on at the moment. But, you know, we can't do anything about that right now. All we can do is talk about the team on the pitch and, and I honestly believe this whole sort of financial doping case thing, whatever you want to call it, has actually fired them up. You know, they came out to warm up yesterday in front of me at Emirates and I couldn't believe how up for it they looked. I don't think I've ever seen a team come out for a warm up looking that pumped. Riyad Mahrez doing kick ups from the tunnel right across the pitch, like just signaling his intent, like, and then sort of spinning around on the ball, like just warming up and trying to get into the zone and into the mood and, you could just see that it was it was going to be a difficult night, I think, from the, the very beginning. So let's talk about some of the key incidents and then we'll we'll go on to individual players. Key incidents, Takahiro Tomiyasu's mistake. It's really, really interesting because Mikel Arteta said in his press conference uh, after the game that he hasn't seen uh, Tomiyasu play a back pass like that in about seven years sort of referencing the fact that obviously Tommy Asu is someone that Arsenal have looked at for a little while. Um, but it was it's just one of those things. I mean, he's he's in a foot race with someone. He, he conserves, you know, no, he uses his energy to get ahead of the man coming forward. He gets there. He is, I think... Not 100% sure on the idea of playing that back pass. But if you watch it back again, you'll see Mikel Arteta sort of like pointing. Not blaming Mikel Arteta. is still ultimately on the player to make the decision. But you'll see Mikel Arteta sort of pointing as if to say, 
play it back to the goalkeeper. That's what you've got on at the moment. And Tommy Asu does that and he just gets the execution horribly wrong. It was an awkward ball to deal with. Um, and he plays it short. He gets the angle of the pass wrong as well. And Kevin De Bruyne latches on the end of it. And when I talk about class and I talk about quality, this is another prime example of that. I don't think there's another player that was on that pitch last night with the technical level to be able to run onto that ball the way Kevin De Bruyne did and lift it with your left foot and squeeze it inside the near post in the way that Kevin De Bruyne did. I think that's a fantastic finish. One of the highest caliber, highest quality. Now, I know it was avoidable and I talk about it and I will categorize it as an individual error on Arsenal's part, on Tommy Asu's part. But that's a, a wonderful finish. And this goes back to the point again. When you play against opponents at this level, you cannot afford to give them a sniff. You give them chances, they will invariably take them. And that's exactly what Kevin De Bruyne did. Then there was the penalty incident down the other end. Um, couldn't believe that there were a lot of people in the sort of footballing world suggesting that that wasn't a penalty. You know, Eddie gets there way ahead of Edison. Eddie does everything right, to be fair to him. He gets the shot off. It's going in. It's cleared off the line brilliantly by, I don't know, I can't remember if it was Nathan Ake or Ruben Diaz, but one of them was back. They were both back on the line, I think, but I think it was Ake that got, the final clearance, the final touch. But out comes Edison like a madman and he takes out Eddie and Ketia. Now, some have said, well, it's not a penalty. Well, I would say to those people, well, what's the difference between a goalkeeper diving down at somebody's feet and catching them late, which is always punished, and what Edison did? All he did was jump off of the ground instead of jumping down onto the ground. He's still late to the party. He's still late to the challenge. Um, it's absolutely a foul. And the thing that makes or forces Anthony Taylor into blowing his whistle and pointing to the spot is the fact that Eddie and Ketty's effort was cleared off the line. If that goes in, then there's not even a debate about Edison. The game continues, goal, we move on. But because, you know, Edison comes out, has an impact on Nketiah's action because he obviously puts him off a little bit, he's in his face. You know, you could argue that he's influencing the outcome there and he's fouled him. He's definitely got none of the ball. He's jumped into him. Penalty for me. Some people say uh, soft penalty. I disagree. People say the shot was done. The shot was already taken. I think that's one of the biggest problems in football, that those things get missed. Players take shots and then get caught seconds afterwards. And people go, oh, well, he already had, um, you know, he already, he already had the shot. So it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work like that. The other thing is, as well, how did Edison not pick up a second yellow card from that? You know, if you don't think it's a foul, okay, but it obviously was a foul in the eyes of Anthony Taylor and the VAR who didn't feel any need to intervene there. How is that not a foul then? Look at where it is on the pitch. Look at what impact it's having. He was already on a yellow card, Edison, for uh, time-wasting which Manchester City, by the way, we're doing from 10 minutes into the game, which suggests that they respect us. It shows you that they knew that they were coming to a very difficult place and they knew that they were up against a good side. You don't do that against lesser sides. You do that in the games against your rivals. So that was an early sign of the respect, I think, that Manchester City had for us. But yeah, how Edison doesn't get a second yellow card is beyond me. And I think that's a big talking point. I really, really do. I sort of came in to the press room at half time and, and I'd had a phone call. A, a friend of mine had given me a call and he said, you know, I I'm not sure that was a penalty. And I said, you know what, mate, you shouldn't be looking at whether or not that was a penalty. You should be asking the question as to why Edison, who's already on a yellow card, has, has been allowed to get away with that scot-free. Someone said to me, well, Edison, maybe it's because it was a genuine attempt to win the ball. Was it? I don't think it was. I think it was reckless from Edison. I think he was in a panic and he jumps into Eddie and Ketia and, and makes a foul and concedes the penalty. But look, credit to Vakayo Saka, steps up, sends the keeper the wrong way. 1-1, happy days, back in the game. The atmosphere uh, went crazy again, electric inside Emirates Stadium at that point. And we go in at halftime at 1-1 and you think that's been a cracking game of football, very entertaining, high energy. I'd spoken to some journalists and colleagues who aren't Arsenal supporters that were covering the game who said, I'm so glad to be here. You know, this is just a fantastic football match.
But then the second half started and, and it was just completely different. You know, it was just completely different from the off. The pattern of the game was different. Um, Manchester City had made those tweaks that I referenced earlier in order to try and uh, deal with what Arsenal were doing well to to nullify our right-hand side especially. And um, we just couldn't keep the ball against the press. Our midfield started to get lost a little bit up against that midfield quartet that I mentioned earlier that Pep Guardiola had on the pitch. And they just started to get a hold of the game. And you felt like, I mean, I know the goals came uh, sort of after the 70th minute, but I remember looking at the clock at around about 64, 65 and thinking there's only going to be one winner here. And it would be a mini miracle, actually, if we get out. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Playing like this with with a with a point because you, I just felt like the tone was set right at the start of the second half and it was only heading one way. And then uh, we make the mistake. Um, Kevin De Bruyne uh, obviously put them in front, but it was Jack Grealish that added the second after a really decisive sweeping Manchester City move but it was all born out of uh, Arsenal getting it wrong um, defensively. Gabriel making the mistake this time he uh, had obviously played a blind pass I think into that midfield line hoping that maybe Granit Xhaka was going to be there or, or a colleague but instead he gave the ball straight away and it took what three or four passes before Manchester City were bearing down on goal and I remember watching uh, the goal go in at the time, looking at the ball uh, and where it ended up in the net and thinking, Aaron Ramsdale, you got to do better there, mate. But um, obviously, with the luxury of having a little screen in front of me, I got to see the replay pretty quickly. And it was very clear to me that that deflection that it took off of Tommy Asu, who was desperately trying to block it, made all the difference. It just took it over Aaron Ramsdale's dive, um, which caused him a problem and, and ultimately saw Manchester City regain the lead and then you know after that you're going to try and throw the kitchen sink at them you're going to try and change things Leandro Trossard came on Ben White came on really late in the game as well I think just that one was after um was after the Haaland goal um but yeah it, it just wasn't to be you know we had a couple of moments in the second half where I thought we broke quite well we created overloads and spaces but then when we got towards the edge of the penalty area we just got caught in two minds and just didn't act decisively enough and and nobody you know had the confidence or the belief I guess to really take it on themselves and um yeah hard one to take the third goal just one of those goals you concede when you're going in search of an equalizer you leave spaces you leave gaps Manchester City obviously had a penalty appeal as well uh, in the second half the penalty initially awarded by Anthony Taylor for what he deemed to be a foul by Gabriel and Erling Haaland. That was very much six of one, half a dozen of the other. And I thought it would have been very harsh for that to have stood. But thankfully, the VAR stepped in and, and drew some lines this time to work out and recognise that Erling Haaland was in an offside position, meaning that um, the play needed to be stopped prior to that incident occurring. So, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about some individuals now. Disappointing display, as I say, in the second half especially, um, and I just think the gap in class between the two sides showed. Pep Guardiola, interestingly, after the game in his press conference, said, look, as far as I see it, Arsenal are still top of the league because they've played a game less than us. Maybe that's something that Arsenal can take encouragement from. Maybe that's the kind of comment that Arsenal need to be sort of reiterating in the dressing room. Maybe that's the kind of thing that, or the kind of message that Mikel Arteta needs to be trying to put across. But I guess my overall takeaway from the overall performance before we go into the individuals is that we've just run out of steam a little bit. Um, individuals that had been performing at an incredibly high level have just probably leveled out a bit. Um, there's a tiredness there. I think you can see that. I think we're clearly unable to maintain the levels 
for the duration of 90 minutes, especially in a high-octane game like that one yesterday. I said to you guys in the preview show that sometimes on those occasions, the kind of occasion can get you through that, that, that extra, give you the extra energy. You know, moments in games can give you that extra boost. But all the moments, all the significant moments um, in that game, or at least the majority of them were deflating moments for Arsenal. You know, the mistake from Tommy Asu, the mistake from Gabriel, the penalty award that, you know, probably wasn't a penalty. Okay, when that gets overturned, maybe that gives you a little bit of a boost, but you, you just was looking for that that moment that sparked us into life and it just never came. And, um, and unfortunately, it wasn't to be on the night. And, you know, they're top of the league now, um, which is something that we're going to have to process. Uh, obviously, we do have that game in hand, so it's not all doom and gloom and it's not um, over. You know, we've lost the battle, but, you know, we certainly haven't won the war yet, at least. You know, where are Arsenal going to finish? I mean, I've gone from sort of slightly favouring Arsenal in the title race to slightly favouring City now. You know, three points isn't the be-all and end-all. You know, as you see, we had a great lead a few weeks ago and look how quickly that's been cut. Things can change quite quickly and quite rapidly in football. But at the same time, um, you know, you, you you just feel like there is a bit of a levelling out happening now. And people should have been prepared for this. I was prepared for this. I said to you guys many times that it's imp like if you think Arsenal were going to mirror the 50 points they got in the first half of the season into the second half of the season and end up with something like 100 come the end, that was never going to happen. That was delusion. That was getting ahead of yourself. That was getting carried away. This Arsenal side are not there yet. May well be in a year or two. And that's the frustrating thing because it always feels like nearly, nearly, nearly. But we've already surpassed the expectations that most people had for us. And, you know, even if we did finish second, obviously, I don't want us to try and finish second. I want us to keep going. I want us to turn this around quickly. I want us to get back on track ASAP. But a second place finish would be fantastic. We'd have achieved Champions League qualification. We'd have been competitive at the top of the table again for the first time in years. And we've got the Europa League to look at as well. You know, the potential of winning a European trophy is something that should not be sniffed at. So there's plenty to play for this season. It's just really, really important that Arsenal come out the other side of this dark tunnel that we're in at the moment, because the longer this goes on, the harder it is to recover, the more ground you lose. And we've already seen that with this Manchester City side, even when you have a commanding lead, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean anything for certain. And that's kind of where I'm at. Let's talk about some individual performances. Because there were some positives, believe it or not, last night. Um, I thought William Saliba had a fantastic game. I know Erling Haaland scored with eight minutes to go. And I know that people will look at that and say, well, he didn't do that good a job on him then, did he? He allowed him to score. But having watched the game back last night, like the idiot I am when I got home at half past 11 at night, it was clear to me that he'd done a wonderful, wonderful job of dealing with the world's probably best centre forward at the moment. He's got 26 goals in the Premier League now uh, this season, Erling Haaland at this stage. After what, 23 games, 22 games? That is nuts. Um, that is nuts. But, you know, we know what he brings to the table outside of that. He's incredibly quick across the ground. He's incredibly clever in his movement. He is physically a powerhouse. And I thought that William Saliba dealt with all of those things really, really well. And actually the, the two moments in which you'd argue Erling Haaland had some joy, the first one being um, the penalty uh, award that was then reversed by VAR. If you look at that, you know, you'll see that Haaland peeled off of Saliba and went over to the other side and went up against Gabriel. If you look at the goal he scored, he pops up in what's more like Gabriel's position than Saliba's. So again, I'm not sitting here slagging off Gabriel. Haaland is, is difficult to deal with for anybody. But you have to say that Saliba, I thought, as an individual, had a really good game last night. And you know, it was good to see because there's been a lot of talk post the World Cup that he hasn't been at the same level and he's dropped off a bit. And, you know, some of his performances have been a little bit hit and miss. But I thought on the day he was he was fantastic. 
He really, really was. Uh, moving into the midfield, I want to talk a little bit about Jorginho. Um, a very divisive signing when it was announced. And I know a lot of people that said, no, no, no. What are we doing? This guy's washed. He's done. He's passed his best. Why are we bringing him in? We don't need that type of player at Arsenal at the moment. Now, it was clear that he wasn't Arsenal's first choice. It was clear that he was brought in to bring some experience and, and the ability to cover Thomas Partey in the event. Uh, he picked up the type of muscular injury that has plagued his Arsenal career, really, if we're being honest. And in Jorginho came, and I thought he gave a real good account of himself. I think he dropped off a bit in the second half, as did everybody else, but I don't think he was poor in comparison to the rest of the team's performance. Um, having said that, uh, I thought in the first half, he was really good. Um he made a clearance off the goal line at some point in the game as well. I think that was in the second half. But taking it back to the first half, he read so many of Manchester City's passes really early and really well, stepped into positions to intercept. Isn't the biggest tackler, isn't the most mobile, but has an amazing understanding of the game. And he, he showed that, I thought. Uh, he also played some wonderful line-breaking passes. Again, in the second half, he did a bit of that as well. He was always looking to progress the ball forward. And that just goes to show you that if you're playing in the right team, you then do the right things. You know, Jorginho had uh, been criticised for a long time at Chelsea for being a sideways passer. That was one of the most common things uh, that I heard from uh, sort of um, Chelsea fans during his time there, um, that it was all about Maurizio Sarri ball, that that was all he was supposed to do was pass it sideways, be a bit of a midfield metronome. He is that, but he can also progress the ball, I think, uh, as we saw last night. So that was another one of the positives to take away. I think there's a couple of negatives, though. Sorry, uh, I need to get my charger before my phone battery dies. Um, I think there were a couple of negatives in terms of individual performances. I thought that Gabriel Martinelli really struggled to have an impact in the second half. Again, though, you've got to be mindful of how much of that is down to how Manchester City dealt with him. Pep Guardiola talked again in his press conference about the plan that they had to deal with Saka and Martinelli and the way that they tweaked it in the second half. And it was obviously much more impactful at that point. Um, so Martinelli, a bit underwhelming again. And there were people obviously calling for Leandro Trossard to get the start and you know, maybe, and it's easy to do this with hindsight, looking back, maybe they were right. Uh, but Mikel Arteta has trusted Martinelli throughout the season. He's often delivered. Um, and because he's often delivered, Mikel Arteta will have felt that he's earned the trust, as I said, about the whole team to be able to have the opportunity to play through a bit of a difficult period, a bit of a difficult patch. Um, the other player that I or two players that I didn't think were at the level that they're normally at. You know, we've mentioned Tommy Asu and all that. I'm not going to go through that again. Uh, but I didn't think Zinchenko was as impactful um, as he normally is. I didn't think he was as impactful against Brentford. I didn't think he was as impactful against Everton. I keep saying that I feel like teams have worked out what it is that Zinchenko does, what it is that he brings to the table, and have worked out ways or have adapted to try and stop that specifically. There's no team that know it better than Manchester City. Pep Guardiola's system, philosophies are very similar to Mikel Arteta's, but also he knows the player inside out. And Manchester City were able to stop that too. Granit Xhaka, I thought, was good enough defensively yesterday, but there were a couple of moments. I mentioned those sort of breakaway moments where we did create those spaces inside Manchester City territory. And just a, a bit of indecision and, and a bit of a delay in actually making things happen. He delayed the game from, or delayed making passes in key moments, I thought, on a couple of occasions. There was one at the start of the second half where City had come forward. We'd won the ball back on the transition. He, he gets the ball in midfield. Martinelli's in acres of space out on the left-hand side, and you're thinking, Granite, just ping it out to him in the way that you do seven, eight, nine, ten times a game, and he just took two extra touches and just slowed the whole thing down and allowed uh, Manchester City to get back behind the ball and deal with the threat posed. And then there was another situation where he picks up the ball uh, in the attacking third and he sort of, he's got a runner on the outside of him. The defender goes there uh, with the runner and then he takes the ball in field and he's around about the edge of the box and you're thinking, wind up for the shot. 
You know, I had Manchester United of last season vibes when he got the ball there and he just didn't take it on. Ruben Diaz made a fantastic block, but he was able to make that block because Granit Xhaka was indecisive about what it is he wanted to do. If he wasn't going to take the shot on early, he was better off trying to pick out a teammate. But it was just those kind of things, the little details. We weren't up to the level that we normally are. And as I keep on saying, against the team of Manchester City's quality, you cannot, um, you cannot allow that to happen. Okay, um, let's uh, let's get some of your thoughts. Let's get some of your questions uh, from the live chat box uh, before uh, I say goodbye. Um, really difficult one to take this. I think you can overanalyze it as much as you want. I think tactically it was an intriguing battle. I think that the key. Uh, moments went against us and that was because our players fluffed their lines in in some instances, you know, weren't able to um, provide the, the level of quality that they have for the majority of the season so far. And, you know, you can do that against Brentford and still get something from the game. You know, you can do that against Southampton and still get something from the game. You can do that against you know, leads and, and still get something from the game. You can't do that against Manchester City, unfortunately. And as I keep saying, I kept saying that they were going to click at some point. Feels like they've clicked of late. And I feel like they're really fired up off the back of what's going on off the pitch. Um, Pep Guardiola has been very defiant. There's a real unity uh, within that football club at the moment, even if, you know, we think that they're guilty or, or we don't think that they're guilty. Whatever your stance is on that, you can see that it has had a galvanizing effect on Manchester City, and, and that's been a problem for us. Uh, let's take some of your thoughts then and some of your questions, get them into the live chat box. I'll go through as many as I can in the next sort of 10 minutes or so. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do uh, leave a like on the video. It really, really does help um, in terms of the algorithm. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. I know there's not that many of you uh, with us live at the moment, but I didn't expect there to be, given that we started at 7.30 in the morning. This is Tom Canton levels of dedication. Uh, but no, jokes aside, I've got so much on today that I was worried I wouldn't be able to do it till 4 or 5 p.m. Um, and uh, and that would be way too late. Uh, Pete says, uh, any concern, no other option any concern that there's no other option for Eddie since returning uh, after the World Cup? He's played every minute, only being subbed once in 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a flaw in our squad. It's definitely a shortcoming. Um, you know, some people have suggested that maybe Martinelli should go through the middle to try and change it up a little bit. I think, A, you kill Eddie and Ketty's confidence if you do that. But B, I don't think Martinelli's been performing at a level that suggests that he deserves a place in the 11 right now any more than Eddie Nketiah does. And this is the problem, isn't it? Um, it feels like a few players have dropped off in terms of their level all at the same time. And, you know, that's culminated in in a couple of defeats and a draw along the way. Um, it's by no means the end of the world. And it's by no means the crisis that some people would package it up as. But, yeah, I mean... We all knew that there were areas in the squad that needed addressing. Arsenal took the decision to strengthen in the wide area um, ahead of strengthening through that centre-forward area. I think we probably really needed both, but obviously Arsenal felt that bringing in a wide player was more important. They did that with Leandro Trossard, who I think is a good option. Um, the other position that I was really concerned about was in centre midfield, and they addressed that too. So they did two out of the three for me. The other problem was with the centre-forward thing was you go out, you spend money on a centre-forward, you bring them in. If you don't think they're better than Eddie and Ketia, then you end up with another squad player, which makes your squad a little bit overinflated. How much are you going to have to pay to get someone that Mikel Arteta believes is Eddie and Ketia? That's the other question. And then when Gabriel Jesus returns, none of them play. So that was always going to be a bit of a long shot. But yeah, um, it is a concern because... We just look like we've run out of steam. You know, we've looked like we've run out of legs and, and we don't have the quality in all of the areas to be able to rotate. Like I know he made a mistake last night, but Tommy Asu's a good option. Kieran Tierney's a good option. Uh, Jorginho showed last night that he's a good option. Trossard's a good option. But there are still positions on that pitch that you look at and you go, well, the alternatives, they don't stack up. And that's the problem. Uh, Crusader says, do you think it is more about us not executing 
what we're supposed to be doing over us being predictable. I think it's the former. I think predictability does come into it. Um, maybe that's not a bad thing in that it shows, doesn't it, that teams respect what you're doing and therefore take the time to study it, work it out and try and come up with solutions uh, to dealing with it. So that happens. You play a certain way. Any top team will experience this, this notion of becoming predictable that people do uh, really sort of focus in on your game in a lot of detail and then look to gain advantages off the back of that. It's part and parcel of football. We're certainly not executing those principles to the same level as we have done in the past. And I agree with you, that is more of a problem than the predictability. But I do think the predictability is something we should be talking about. I mean, you look at it last night, you know, playing out from the back, obviously a big feature of Mikel Arteta's game. We do it because we believe that is the way to build up. There will be moments in games where you shouldn't do it. But every time we did go long, it would get lost. You know, Saka isn't going to be Ake in the air on that side. You know, Martinelli isn't always going to beat Carl Walker in the air, who's a big lad despite being a fullback. You know, Eddie Nketiah has certainly not got much chance of winning many aerial duels against two big centre-halves. Gabriel Jesus is a lot better in that sense. Eddie Nketiah did it a couple of times yesterday. There was one in the second half where he brought it down wonderfully and sort of backed into his man and waited for support to arrive and laid it off and Arsenal produced a, an attack off the back of that. But yeah, um, I think you're right in saying that the execution of the plan is the problem at the moment, more so than the plan. But we don't have the option to put crosses in when teams play low blocks against us and do it to any to any effect because we just don't have that type of striker. So there are predictability issues as well. Um, I think it's a bit of both. But yeah, I agree with you that it's more so that we're not executing right. Um, Mr. Guna Maestro says, why do our fan base uh, like to say face when we face adversity and always say, oh, I knew this. I knew that would happen. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's not trying to say face. It's just being honest. I mean, it's people being realistic about where this Arsenal side are at. If anybody looked at that team and thought at the start of the season, this team is going to steamroller to the title without dropping any points along the way, they were deluded. You know, even if after 10 games you thought that, you're, you're, on, you're in cloud cuckoo land. You know, for going into the January window, everybody was moaning about our lack of depth and the need to go and do major business, which means that you're not entirely satisfied with the team. So then when we can't start to come unstuck or we start to level out, as I prefer to put it, you can't be shocked, surprised and angry. You know, that's that's setting yourself up to be annoyed and making yourself miserable. I did say that Arsenal would level out. I did say that there were two players. I have said all season there were two players we cannot afford to lose. And unfortunately, last night in our biggest game in, of the season, maybe our biggest game of the last decade, we were without those two players. And that massively, massively hindered us. It really, really did. Patrick O'Connor uh, says, hi, Harry. Are we ever going to get over the line and beat City? Apart from the FA Cup semi-final, we struggle to beat them every year. I think I said on the radio uh, yesterday, I don't have that laptop in front of me right now where I had my notes, but it was something like we'd lost 10 games consecutively to them in the Premier League, um, which is the longest losing streak that Arsenal have had in their league history against any one opponent They've got our number at the moment and, you know, we're getting closer. You know, we were very close to beating them and getting something out of them. I thought last season at Emirates Stadium, Lady Luck went against us that day. And, um, you know, we were we were obviously competitive yesterday, but the individual errors cost us. So yeah, it feels like we've made progress and we're getting there. We're not losing 5-6-0 anymore. Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, we're not. Uh, we're not having a great time against them, are we? Um, Archangel says, why won't Arteta change it? Why is he persistent in failure? I think he probably will now. I think he'll have to now. I don't think that, you know, three games is should be enough to kind of undo all the work that we did so far this season. I don't think if Mikel Arteta genuinely trusted and believed in a lot of these players, that he would then lose that trust in them and that belief in them to do the right things off the back of three games. Part of being a manager is, yeah, of course, making those big calls and the changes when you need to, but 
It's also managing relationships with your players. And, and I think, you know, that's important to him. And I think that he, um, he wanted to give these guys an opportunity to turn it around and, and, um, you know, give him an opportunity to put it right. And, and unfortunately now I think he's been put in a position uh, where he has to, has to um, change it up. Right, I'm going to take two more questions very, very quickly because I've got a dash, got to catch a train. Uh, 13X says, how much damage do you think the last few games have done to our confidence and momentum? Do you see us beating Villa right now? I'm sorry, but I don't. I hope I'm wrong. It's difficult to see us beating Villa. I'll take that. Um, I don't know that I can sit here and say that we definitely won't know. I haven't been massively impressed with Aston Villa this season. It's a game we're capable of winning. And we need to turn this around fast. You're absolutely right. It does affect our confidence. It does affect our momentum. There's no getting away from that. But it's all about how uh, we bounce back. That's the really important thing now. Uh, Theo says, Harry, I want to know why our team doesn't keep the same pace of aggressiveness. We stopped playing aggressively after the 1-1 and then started again two goals down. Why? So I agree with you. I think some of it's down to energy levels dropping. um, But I also thought we could have been much braver in the second half. And that was my big disappointment coming away from Emirates yesterday. It looked like we'd gone back into our shells, that we were content with the point. I would have been content had we achieved the point, but I don't think that was the way to approach a game against a side like Manchester City, who you know only need a sniff to punish you. Right, guys, I am going to leave it there. Uh, Apologies, I've got a dash. I've got to get to the train station uh, down the road within the next 15 minutes. So I'm going to have to put my jog on. Uh, which is not what you want to do on a cold Thursday morning here in London. Uh, Thank you so, so much for tuning in at this ungodly hour. Really, really appreciate it. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Like the video if you haven't done so already. I will see you guys uh, probably tomorrow now with another piece of content, unless there is any major Arsenal news. Thank you all so much. I hope you start to feel a bit better throughout the duration of the day, and I'll catch you all uh, tomorrow. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.